You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. I'm Allison Kane, and welcome to In the Sauce, a podcast about building consumer brands from the ground up. I love doing this show because I get to interview everyone from production gurus to marketing and social media mavens, anyone who can guide me on this crazy journey. This is the story of building Haven's Kitchen sauces, but it's also the story of every growing brand because we're all in the sauce. Today, I'm speaking with Justin Gill, founder of Bachans, the original Japanese barbecue sauce, the squeezy, salty, sweet, and savory condiment that is popping up everywhere. After six years of working on the sauce, Justin launched Bachans in 2019, and just a few years later, it can be found in over 14,000 stores, including Whole Foods Market, Target, Kroger, and Costco. Welcome, Justin. Thank you, Allie. Super excited to be here. Sort of looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, me too. So you know this because we've talked about it, but I, um, I've been really looking forward to this too um, for a number of reasons. First of all, it's an amazing story and it's just, I have such admiration for the business and, and just the growth and just the trajectory and it's just a great story. Um, it's a great product. And also, you have a great reputation, which, you know, precedes you. And my last little thing, which we've talked about, which I'm just going to be honest about, is my little jealousy <laughs> of the product, of the success, of like just the growth. It's um, not a bad thing. And I, you know, I, we talked about it. I want to kind of like put it out there because I know that basically founders and operators listen to this podcast. And I think it's very normal and natural to have this kind of admiration slash other side, like, oh man, like, or what, you know, they're doing like that. And why didn't I think of that? And how'd that, you know, and that's normal. Um, so I'm normalizing my own jealousy for the sake of my listeners. You can call me altruistic, um, or just dealing with my own guilt. But anyway, I'm psyched to hear about everything. <laughs> oh, oh, thank you. That's so kind of you. Um, and you know, I'm equally, um, you know, I have an equal amount of admiration for what you've done too. So, uh, super impressive. Um, and I've, I was doing a little reading on your story um, before this, yeah. and I noticed that, you know, you kind of went the path, a similar path that I, I did with, you know, having kids and then kind of mm-hmm. building a business later on. Um, and there's, you know, great things that come along with it, with that path. There's also challenges and, and kind of today it's, it's a little unique. I, I just, um, yeah. I just went to a, to an Asian American founders retreat uh, with, you know, all of, you know, majority of the, the top um founders of Asian owned CPG brands. And I was, uh, the oldest one there. I was the wow. only one that had kids. Wow. Um, yeah. And, and so it was the first time I kind of got yeah. to ex- experience that. I don't, I don't really think of myself like that, but I definitely, definitely am. So, yeah, no, I mean, I think that's, it's interesting that you bring it up because I, I often think of myself as sort of like an elder statesman, in the, in the group, like I'm like older, you know, Mm. I mean, we, we've also talked about that. Um, you know, I'm 50 and I didn't go, you know, I raised my kids and then I started my cooking school and then I started this company. So, you know, this was a second life for me essentially. Mm. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that, you know, whether it's having gone through life cycles or, really just seeing, um, you know, seeing how just you get perspective, I think, as you get older and then you, and then you get this other layer of perspective when you're responsible for a family. Um, and you know, not to say that it makes you necessarily a better founder, but I think you're right. It does. It's a little unusual. Um, these days it does feel a little bit like it's a young person's game, sometimes. Um, but then I like to think of, you know, what I always said about my kids is, you know, every asset is a liability. 
and every liability is an asset. They're just like different sides of the same coin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when, if you're older, it can be a real asset. It can also be a challenge. If you have, you know, a super specific supply chain, it's certainly an asset. It can also be a liability. Yeah. You know, like everything is almost, you know, the, it's just how you look at it and sort of managing, you know, mitigating the downside and maximizing the opportunities that come with it a little bit. But um, it's interesting. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I think it's also just, you know, self-awareness and yeah. just knowing what your unique value is you bring to any organization, yep. you know, and then yep. surrounding yourself with people that um, kind of support anywhere um, where you may not be inherently strong. And right. um, so. So let's yeah. talk about Bachan. Um, I mean, you know, it kind of, it just kind of seemed like it just got everywhere um, all at once, you know, amazing. And, and I think, you know, you saw my draft and, you know, the way that I think about your brand is just that it's, it's simple and it's clear what it is. And you just, you nailed the message. And obviously I like a squeezy and, (laughs) you know, they're just, doesn't seem like you're trying to be too many things at once, but it just seems like it's simple and delicious and there's a streamline to it. There's like a real core, I think. Whereas I think there's a lot of emerging brands where you see them trying to figure out who they are. It's almost like you hit day one knowing exactly who you were. And I guess I'm curious if that is the case or if it just sort of feels like it to the outside world. And I guess more importantly, those six years between, you know, when you decided to do this, you know, I think you were with your Bachan uh, in 2013. And when you actually launched, was that going into, you know, did you figure all that stuff out before, I guess is the question. So it's a little bit of a convoluted question. But I think you'll be able to answer it. Yeah. Yeah, no, it makes total sense. I mean, um, I I think I did, you know, because I spent so much time uh, pre-launch just Mm -hmm. figuring things out, getting very clear on, you know, what, how our brand was different, you know, um, leaning into, you know, the authenticity that we have as a brand and our story. How do we leverage that in in the, you know, most articulate way possible. Um, Mm -hmm. And then, you know, how do we bring something new to market that the consumer could also just understand and then, um, you know, have an emotional connection with on on the brand side and then the product side, it's just, unfortunately, I think it it happens all too often where, um, you know, people for maybe not forget, but they don't focus enough on flavor you know, as mm-hmm. a food brand, you really have to win on flavor. Yeah. We've surveyed our consumers and they love everything about our brand, our products, not everything, you know, it's, it's, they love a yeah. lot of things. And, um, but flavor, you know, it yeah. is, is a big one. And that authenticity, you know, yeah. um, those are kind of the two that, that are very consistent uh, when we talk to our customers. So, um, yeah, those are things I just spent a lot of time, you know, quite frankly, just obsessing over. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, we got to market and, um, we, we were we were pretty clear on what we were trying yeah, to do. Yeah, and and that's what it feels like. It's that it's you know. I mean, you were I I compared it. It just reminds me of Cholula, and I don't know enough about Cholula's backstory. What what I mean by that is like you have said you don't want too many skews. You want it to be very clear what you do with it. There isn't a ton of consumer education, but there's enough that makes them feel like they're participating in something special and, and, you know, authentic to use your words. And that line is very sweet, right? Because a lot of times when things are, you know, on the sort of like something new to the market, something interesting that they haven't experienced before, it's accompanied with a lot of consumer education. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm sure a number of the brands that you were on the retreat with, because I'm friendly with you know, probably half of them, we talk about it, you know, this is something it's, you're really trying not only to introduce a new flavor, but you're 
almost trying to introduce a new behavior into, uh, you know, the American consumer who isn't necessarily always looking for something new to introduce into their world. And so you've done that. It's like this really sweet, just like line of, um, and it, it just, you know, I'm, I guess I'm curious about the flavors. I know that this sauce did, you know, originate in your family, but I know mm-hmm. that you also improved upon it to make it commercial. Mm-hmm. So what was that six years like from an R&D perspective? And, you know, clearly you were also working on the brand and, you know, and sort of the story at the same time. Mm-hmm. But what took up the bulk of that six years? And when did you know you were ready to go? Um, you know, it was all kind of kind of equal honestly, Mm -hmm. like the time I spent on the brand, um, the messaging, R&D, business model, business plan, um, all those things were, I, I, you know, I can't say that one of them took up really more time than- Did you think you'd be in 14,000 stores in three years? Mm, Not in three years, but but, uh, (laughs) I did think, you know, once I had the formulation finished and had it cold filled and and shelf stable and just had the ingredients- that, right. that I that I wanted all those things. I knew I, I had a pretty special product because yep. I knew people already loved the product that we had. So yep. I, I I did feel that this could be something big one day. Yeah, you know the scale of my thinking at that point. Uh, it was it wasn't. I didn't really have a good frame of reference for mm-hmm. how could it big it could be. So um, no, I, I didn't think it would grow this fast. But um, super grateful and thankful that I did. Yeah. Um, and. You know, I think it does just come back though to just, you know, the simple things, um, which are, um, you know, flavor, ingredients, building an approachable, you know, inclusive brand that um, can be accessible to people. You know, I think Mm -hmm. to build something large, it has to be accessible to a certain extent. So um, even getting your pricing strategy, your pricing sloping correct, you know, got kind of lucky on some of that stuff, not having a ton of um, experience, but, you know. Yeah, the sloping thing, you know, people talk about sloping. I've been hearing about sloping since the <laughs> the Chobani incubator mm, in yeah. 2018, and I'm still like, uh, I mm, think so. Like, yeah. natural is this, conventional is this, yeah. is this, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. It's super important. I mean, we yeah. we recently brought on um, a uh, head of sales, you know, that was um, at General Mills for 20 years and, mm. you know, has this, like, you know, really classical, you know, uh, CPG, big CPG experience. And he's worked right. for some faster growing kind of smaller nimble brands too. And so he came in and, and, and kind of assisted with the, the, that and kind of refined it a bit. Right. Luckily at the time when, you know, we're kind of going into the more of the mass channel. And um, right. <clears throat> I think that's one other thing that timing is ultra important in everything, yeah. you know, like once you, it's, it's just probably the most important, honestly. Um, yeah. One of my biggest pet peeves is when people who got really lucky mistake it as they're a genius. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like that happens a lot because I, I mean, I think one of the things you learn as you get older is just how so much of this is timing, which, you know, means that there are cycles and people ride them up and people ride them down. And um, I think that's a really good point. You know, you, you you can you can impact the timing of things and you can and you can be aware of where you are in a particular cycle and be careful or be you know aggressive depending yeah. on it um yeah. but i think that's a really good point all right we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about all the things that i want to know This episode is supported by HRN business member Crew, a sophisticated Thai restaurant serving historic dishes inspired by Thailand's royalty and aristocracy in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Crew recreates and reimagines historic dishes from ancient recipes that are marked by their surprising openness to worldly ingredients. Visit krubrooklyn.com to learn more and make a reservation. Crew supports HRN's creative educational reporting and storytelling that drive conversations to make the world a better, fairer, 
more delicious place. I'm back with Justin Gill from Bachan's. Um, and I just want to say the original Japanese barbecue sauce. And there's a reason why I said that. And we'll Thanks, get to Ellen. that later. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's talk about, can we, can we talk about the skews? Because you have said you don't want a ton of skews. That I think that's partly what I find so kind of remarkable about remarkable about the story is that it's just you know from what I understand it's I'm sure is it is it three or four I have four now it's so it's four you know their their base is the same but you know there's like a either a gluten free or a yuzu version right mm-hmm. like. Mm-hmm. That there again, that's simple. You're not running around trying to procure 85 different ingredients for new things. You're not like, we got to come out with a new category tomorrow. And you seem like very steady in that. Um, and I'm just wondering is that the plan still, or is there a bigger vision? How do you think about R&D and innovation? And is there anything you want to talk about? Sure. Yeah. I mean, first of all, I, th- I just, I think about it very carefully um, and very, very thoughtfully, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's, you know, we wanted to build the brand with a hero strategy. I kind of modeled, I guess, after the, the top, um, some of the co- top condiment brands, you know, like Hoi Fong Food Sriracha in the, in the mm-hmm. Asian space, Cholula, Tabasco, yep. Heinz Ketchup. You look at some of these legacy brands that have, you know, massive scale and have been around for a long time. Most of their revenue is from, you know, one skew or a yep. couple skews. You know? So I like that. I'm, I'm pretty, you know, I like to have a simple life in general and yeah. like to just keep things simple and scalable and efficient. And so, mm-hmm. um, that's kind of how I modeled it. And, but at the same time, we want to build a brand that could be, you know, a platform um, mm-hmm. for all kinds of different, you know, Japanese American products. And so, but I think I just chose to, 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 to stay focused and, and really kind of stay in, in one lane and go really deep rather yeah. than wide. And, yeah. and you know, there's other ways to do it for sure, but that's, that's what we chose to do. And, um, you know, it's, 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 it's working for us. So. Yeah, no, for sure. It's working. Um, and I think, and, and that goes, it's funny that you said that because I mean, we never talked before and that's what it reminded me of. It was, it's like, it reminds me of a brand that's been around for 50 years, oh, um, which is really cool. Um, Okay, now I want to talk about Costco <laughs> because you seem to have, you know, people do these rotations in Costco and everyone's like, it's not the rotation that you're going after. You really want to become an everyday brand, <laughs> you know, and Costco scares people and the margins are notoriously not phenomenal. But it seems like you have sort of figured Costco out. Um at least again from the outside and who the heck knows. But so if you were going to give a Costco like masterclass or, you know, you were going to be a LinkedIn influencer and write like, you know, Bachan's five best practices for Costco, <laughs> like mm-hmm. what would they be? Hmm. Okay. Yeah. So Costco, um, can be an amazing opportunity for any, you know, yeah. business. I, I would say that first. Um, you know, you have to give, you have to get your pricing slope, right? For sure. Mm-hmm. You know, Costco wants value um, yeah. because they, you know, they can, yeah. they can write big POs, right? right. Um, so you have to get that correct. Um, I suggest creating a unique pack size for Costco because I think right. that helps, you know, keep it differentiated. Helps your bottle protect. is bigger. It's yeah. A, yeah. 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 A bigger bottle rather than going with multiple, you know, of the, uh, you know, a, pa- a small, a pack right. of multiple um, market size bottles. Um, I think that, that, that works because it's something different for the consumer. I mean, there's just smaller things too. If you, if you sell like three of your regular size bottle and, and someone comes in there and buys it for value, they can resell it on Amazon and compete with you that way and stuff. Right. That's kind of a small thing, but, but. Question about that though, because I, you know, that this comes up quite a bit, right? Like mm-hmm. 
creating a unique pack for what might not be a long-term relationship. Did you mm-hmm. test it like in the smaller bottle first and then make it? Or you just were like, nope, no. this is going to be great. We're going in with a big one and it's going to do do gangbusters. You know, no, we, we had a lot of conviction around it. Um, mm-hmm. So we just went in and got, got a kind of a custom bottle kind of made and, um, just that was I mean, one of the bigger bets we'd taken up to that point in the business. Right. Costco actually wanted us to go with smaller bottles in a multi-pack because mm-hmm. Costco doesn't want you to take a ton of risk. You know, they right. only want a certain percent of your business to be in Costco because Costco can go away at any time. Yeah. You know? Everyone yeah. talks about being every day in Costco and, 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 you know, we're about as every day as you can be in multiple yeah. regions. Um, but at the same time, it's just there's there's nothing in contract. There's you know it's just it, it can it can go away, right? Like period, you know. So um, <clears throat> I think, yeah, I I I like the custom pack size. Um, yeah. And then another thing, I mean, it, it just comes down to product quality again and flavor. These are all just the simple fundamentals that you have to nail. Right. And then if if your product is great and people love it. Um, you needed, you know, demos. Demos are, are a huge right. driver of, of success. Do you do that roadshow thing? There's like a roadshow. You know, kind of. <laughs> fortunately for us, it was kind yeah. of during the, you know, the pandemic when, right. when that wasn't really going on, right? So, just as far as like we had such a tiny team and and we didn't really have to go that route. And then so we just were lucky enough to get a test, you know, a test run in in our home region here in Northern California, and it started selling really well. So we just kept. Right you know, you know, scaling upon the success we were having in one region to another region and Costco yeah. buyers all, you know, talk within themselves, you know, yeah. whoever is your, your kind of your champion buyer and you in, in, in the region you launch with will, will spread that word because, um, you know, it's kind of part of, um, yeah. Yeah. Part of how, how, how they look good to their, their peers and their business and they get paid and bonus and things like that too. Right. And then in terms of, I mean, yes, use a broker. Is that? Yeah. You know, we actually went direct at first. We got turned down by, by some brokers. One (laughs) Uh of them who's, you know, probably kicking himself today, but just didn't think we were the right product kind of product for Costco and gave us a bunch of, you know, um, unsolicited advice on what we could do to make our product and brand better. So, um, uh-huh. thank you fun, so much. Kind uh-huh. of funny. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, no, we went direct, you know, my, my, um, he's now the VP of natural, but he was just the VP of, of sales for the business. It was just him and I doing all the sales. He right. we couldn't get in touch with the buyer. He drove down there, just old school, dropped the bottle on the desk. Didn't hear back, drove down there again, luckily caught the buyer, caught her interest. And then, you know, we, we, and so that's how we got our shot. We went direct and we knew enough within our team on how to do that operationally. Um, and then we just, you know, during the pitch, we, we had, we kind of did like a mock-up bottle. We got, we got a market bottle that was, you know, the right size. We, we right. saw it off the top and then kind of glued a cap on there right, and right. then wrapped a paper label around it. And what's funny is I went and spoke um, to the Costco NorCal division about um, kind of diversity, equity, inclusion, and, and um, they really support, you know, minority owned businesses. And, right. and so very thankful for that. But I went and spoke to them and, and the buyer mentioned had the mock-up or no? <laughs> yeah, no, to still have the mock-up in the office. I love so, it. It was it was pretty cool, and like the whole crowd like laughed and stuff. It was no, it's it amazing. was fun, you know. But yeah, you know, Costco's willing. You know, they, they want to bring the best innovative products right. to market. So, um, and you just have to be ready to scale and and ready and and have be strong operationally. You yeah. know, I think that's. You know, we we kind of were over indexed and in, on the operation side early on, and and that ended up paying off. But um, yeah, but yeah, Costco demos are great if you can do split demos. They're even better because you can stretch your demo dollars. So partner with another brand that's, yeah, that's complementary to your product. Yeah, that's the good thing about product. being a condiment. I love it. Yeah. I mean, we're just like you want us on your nuggets. You want us yeah. on your tofu. You want us on your any meat, whatever. Like we're like exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We do so, not discriminate against any main deal. Like we, like if you never eat meat, that's totally fine. If you only eat meat, we're like, you know, <laughs> yeah. we have no opinion. We're just like, whatever, squeeze yeah. us on. That's funny. But yeah. I like the idea of split demos. And then, yeah. you know, in terms of being prepared for if 
if it turns off. Mm-hmm. You know, how do you prepare yourself for that when it becomes, you know, I don't know, whatever percentage of the business? Like, mm-hmm. that's that feels like hard. Yeah, I mean, modeling wise, you just have to to model with it and without it and to make sure that mm-hmm. you're okay either way. And then, right. you know, supply chain wise, it's tough, right? Because, you know, you have, we contract for our ingredients, you know, 12 to 18 right. months out, right? Mm-hmm. All, all ingredients. So really when we look at that, you know, our ingredients all have a certain shelf life. And then, you know, where, where I guess the biggest exposure to risk for us if on the supply side of Costco were to go away would be just bottles and labels and then trays, right. you know, so it's not, we can still use our ingredients for all of our sauces right. and that's where kind of just keeping things simple, you know, right. helps as well. Uh, but now yeah. you, you can't really you do much and, and, you know, investors will push on that, of course, as a risk point and kind of try to use it against you sometimes too and fundraising right. and things like that. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, if, if you are, are meeting the dollar threshold for Costco, which in, you know, in our category is, uh, you know, a thousand dollars, you know, per week per door, um, you know, they, they're not super incentivized to, 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 uh, want to turn Let you off, you, you know? Yep. Yeah. And even yep. as like low price competitors will, will come in if you're really successful and, um, you know, Hey, retailers don't want to trade down if right. so. Um, yeah. Right. There, that makes sense. A lot of some, some, you know, retail accounts really look at unit velocity. Um, Mm -hmm. but I think a lot of that's starting to change where dollar velocity is super important. Um, so Costco is definitely a dollar velocity, um, driven business. Yeah. They, they go back and forth. It's interesting because target was always dollars per the slot. Whole foods Mm -hmm. was always, you know, velocity, but when I think these price increases happen and I think, you know, consumers are kind of wigging out right now Mm -hmm. and everything's like a little bit topsy turvy. Mm-hmm. Um, dollars seems to be, it seems to be in favor at the moment, yeah. um, you know, mm-hmm. from, from most of the retailers and just to, to I, I don't want to get too inside baseball for people that don't entirely understand what that is. I just want to break it down a little bit so we don't get too, you know, technical, mm-hmm. but basically, the, you know, when you're like, we've always talked about, I mean, for the, this is going to, this is like episode 187 or something, but honestly, since like episode two, I've been saying like velocity, 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 like prove yeah. yourself by turning units, you know, bringing people into the store and you will earn yourself that spot and they will keep you and they will invest in you and you will build really good relationships with retailers and that still remains true. I do think that a lot of brands that launched in COVID or brands that sort of grew up a little bit in COVID, some of our velocity might have been a little bit COVID bumpy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people were cooking every single meal from home and looking for flavor, especially condiments. Yeah. So a lot of brands have seen a little dip in their unit velocity just as consumers have headed into restaurants and we can see very clearly more people eating away from home, um, than we have in three years. Again, that's tempered a little bit by the economy and whatnot, but all of this is to say that we, a lot of us took price increases and a lot of our retail prices went up because the stores also took price increases. So the stores are looking at velocity, but they're also just looking at like the dollars that you're making for the 10 or 12 inches that they've given your brand. And as much as I'm like velocity, 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 now I'm also like dollars per slot, dollars per slot. Um, And if you can make a lot of dollars in a smaller slot, right, that's why those like ginger shots do so well and, Mm -hmm. you know, little things that just like have a high ring but don't take up a lot of space. Um, you know, the retailers love them. So, yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, I think, you know, dollar velocity, unit velocity, both super important, you know, mm-hmm. end of the day. Yeah. You need to bring more, more dollars per square inch of shelf, shelf space though. So it's like, um, you know, and, it, and 
the retailer doesn't necessarily care, you know, if you're, if you're doing it from bringing price, but like if you're trying to raise a round or something like that, mm-hmm. like, you know, if all your growth is coming from just taking price, then right. it's just, it's not as strong as just, you know, organic incremental growth and, and velocity growth, especially. And then, you know, even as things have cooled down post COVID, you know, as long as you're outperforming against the category, the people next that's, to you. yeah, exactly. that's super important too. So if, you know, yeah. barbecue sauces are going down, but, but, you go in, you know, 20% and, and we're down, you know, 10% right. uh, this period, then we're still growing and still taking share, you know? Yep. So that's, that's, that's just super important to be sophisticated about your data. Yeah. So, so you've brought up investors a couple times and, you know, this is definitely this, I mean, people are just, again, it's a weird time. And, um, you know, you did around last year, I'm sure it's nice that you don't have to do it right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, whenever you do it and however amazing the story is, I have a lot of friends that have built incredible brands that I would put a lot of money into tomorrow, but it's never easy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I guess, you know, if you can share a little bit of what your priorities were in your fundraise and, aside from, you know, looking for a good partner and all that and, and what that process was like for you and what you did when there were low points, because I have to imagine that there were, um, cause I think it will help people to hear like, even you guys, you know, maybe didn't have the easiest, easiest road. Um, or maybe you did, which is awesome for you. But if you didn't, I'd love to hear some you know, just some advice you might have for founders that are kind of knee deep in it at the moment. Yeah, sure. Um, I would say like seed round wise, um, you know, try to, to, you need to prove product market fit in my opinion, before you raise, raise, you know, institutional capital, especially. Right. Um, so if you can use, you know, credit cards or some of your own, you know, capital or raise, you know, some friends and and family money to get you to where, you know, you're not, you're going to be in a strong point to, to, to raise around, Mm -hmm. not give up control of your company or not give up too much, you know, um, equity the first round. I think that's really important. And then in, in all rounds, like optimizing for the best partner and control of your company is more important than the valuation because, You know, if, if you're thinking big and you're going to do something, if you're going to do something big, um, valuation is important, but it's just not the most important thing. You, yeah. you want to be able to control your company. And so I would suggest hiring the best attorney you possibly can for your corporate mm-hmm. counsel at any given time. And then really, you know, being judicious about um, any type of control term or, or liquidation preferences or things like that that may not seem like a big deal early on. But yeah, our founders they, don't even know what they really mean. Yeah, you know? I mean, yeah. I was I had this LinkedIn post the other day where I I mean, anyone who wants to know who my attorneys are, my accountants are, like they're all in my LinkedIn because oh, awesome. I thank them every day. Very cool. Because you know, they do this every day all day and we don't. I'm not a contract lawyer. Right. I don't know, you know, the pref terminology. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, it's, I'm not a deal maker by trade. I'm a sauce maker by trade. So I think, um, you know, we expect ourselves to know what some of this stuff means. And it's like, it's like me expecting someone to come into the kitchen and know how to roast a chicken <laughs> if they've never done it, you know, like, right. so I think that's a really, really good point. And, and one other thing is, you know, if anybody out there has a lawyer or an accountant or someone with their in their finance world that ever makes them feel not intelligent, this is a really good time to go find someone else. Like the road is a little bumpy out there right now. And we need people that are going to like hold our hand through this stuff because there are those legal teams that they just kind of talk over you and they, you know, it's almost like you're asking them for their time when you're paying them, which is a really strange feeling. Like, can I just ask one more question? Is this, you know, that kind of thing. And, and that's never good. So I think that's a really great 
great piece of advice. Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, that's probably the best advice. I mean, I could give and um, also raise a little bit more, you know, than you than need, you need. Um, yeah. especially if it's a good market, because you just yeah. never know, you know, so uh, we raised, you know, more than we needed. And um, it's, it's just good to have, you just never it's know. It's nice to have know? a cushion. I yeah. know, I think if anything, you know, I've been, I'm so bootstrappy by nature, mm-hmm. that I kind of am like, I just need this. And then I, I'm like, oh, I just need that, <laughs> you know, and yep. the idea of like a big one is, is a little daunting. Um, but it does seem like it's, it, it, it's nice to have a cushion and it's nice to have a war chest and like anything, you know, it's good to have it when you don't need it. Um, because when you do need it, it's pretty hard to get. Right. Um, and that's like, in, you know, it's easy to raise money when you don't need it. <laughs> and it's, right. it's, it's hard when you, when you do. So, um, that's, that's the, that's the biggest challenge with, uh, with raising well, money. speaking of, you know, so, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, sort of best practices and, you know, really getting that story right in mm-hmm. the first retailer or the region or the channel and building from there, you know, Mike Kerbin from Vita Coco, he always says like core, then more. And I'm just wondering, are there, is there anything painful about growing so fast, you know, being in over 10,000 doors in three years are, I mean, not all doors are equal. I'm sure some accounts are, you know, higher priority, but has there been, has there been a downside to that at all? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot, I think it's just, I mean, just as a founder, you know, the, the, the bigger your business gets, um, the more stress you're going to, you're going to take, uh, mm-hmm. take on. And that's just a fact of, yeah, for uh, someone who likes simplicity. Yeah. yeah. So that's like, that's, you know, and then trying to have some kind of balance, you know, which I think is just, you know, um, that's, that's, you know, those things get hard. And so, I think that just personally for any founder, you're going to feel that the more, the bigger and more successful your business gets, you know, um, it doesn't get easier. Yeah. I mean, it's hey, I'm not, I guess I maybe frame that differently. Like it's, you're so just ecstatic to have success and being so grateful. So it's, you know, the, this thing that I actually have on, on my, on my wall, my bathroom, um, it says, you know, it, it's a privilege to have these problems. So mm-hmm. I have to always remind myself of that yep. because yep. it just, you know, it, it's, there's a lot of stress. Um, yeah. So, but it's a privilege, right? It's, it's, yep. so I think that there's just that. And then um, to scale your, your operations. And I think, you know, the bigger your team gets too, yeah. it's well, the like, more people you need to manage and yeah. need to manage and yeah. Yeah, the more people and, and just the the, yeah. the natural push and pull between sales and operations and 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 then the process that you need all the mm-hmm. things that aren't there when you're in startup mode you're just going everyone's super connected everyone's got the yeah. same goal in mind and then you know you bring in just a bigger team and it just gets yeah. a lot harder so I don't love managing that's not my you know superpower as as a founder right. um, and I've had to do a lot more of that and and so. Just, you know, it is interesting. Yeah. I feel like I, you know, I've talked to a number of founders and there seems to be this sort of like inflection point and it it feels like it's around 10 people where, you know, not everyone knows what's going on with everyone all the time anymore. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you kind of figure that out and you build in the right systems and the right meetings and this should be weekly, but this should be you know, we should do this, mm-hmm. you know, and then there's that next sort of inflection point where now you're attracting talent from the likes of General Mills, who, you know, isn't necessarily going to be as connected with the junior marketing person as someone was before. And and then you have to make sure that everyone is aligned on the same values that you had you know, it's like you're constantly updating, um, you know, even the onboarding deck, 
you know, we just yeah. were looking at our onboarding deck from last year and I'm like, oh, well, that whole thing needs to, like, we need to, you know, so much of this has changed and, and nothing's changed, but the messaging and, you know, the, even just, the, I don't know, there's just a lot. Um, yeah. So how have you, how have you gotten, how do you grow into the new size sneaker? Mm. You know? I mean, I think just, um, really just being clear and, you know, again, I guess I just saw what you're great at, what your job is, uh, for your, you know, your organization. And, um, I think just, you know, I, I think it's really important for me or any founder just to be really close to the hiring process because mm-hmm. especially at the executive level or, you know, director level and up, I mean, really everybody you can, cause it's, it's really important. Um, cause to your point of like the onboarding document, like that's super important. That needs to be updated all the time. But then like, just to get a feel for the person, you know, in every interview, um, that you do, because one, you know, a few bad people can come in and, and really change the culture of your yeah. business. So, yeah. um, not bad, just different, you know, maybe they're just, yeah. just not a cultural fit. So being yeah. really diligent with, with hiring, um, it's very I think, hard. yeah, I, I do, you know, I've done always just a lot of reading on, on just things that I'm interested in business. And, and now I'm doing more read, leadership stuff. I don't have like a leadership coach or anything. Um, right. might want to get one of those at some point, but <laughs> right now I'm kind of hanging in there. Um, but like, I did yeah. read something interesting. Um, I'm not going to remember where I read it. And so it's going to sound super silly, but I basically, it was, it was basically saying that they did this experiment mm-hmm. with hiring and that, the ideal scenario is that nobody talks about the candidate until the final discussion that if someone's like, I met this girl, you know, or this Mm -hmm. like woman for whatever. And I Mm -hmm. think she's great. You know, here's what I talked about in our thing. Then you are inclined in the next interview to not want to say, no, I didn't think, I didn't think she was such a great fit. Yeah. And similarly, if someone's like, you know, meh, then you're inclined to, you know, sort of go along with that. And that there's these like biases that we bring in that, you know, the ideal scenario is that everyone meets this person basically all at the same time, even though that's impossible, mm-hmm. writes down everything and then comes, you know, to the table. Um, which I thought was interesting because we do have these Slack channels that are like, you know, I mean, they generally are like very positive about people, but it makes it like the process probably a little bit less. um, We're looking to like the person more than we're looking to actually make sure that they're the right fit for us. Yeah. And I think I'm going to try to change that in this next round of hiring um, because it can, it can bite you a little bit, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Hiring, hiring <laughs> can be, you know, it can be tough and exhausting. Honestly, it's just, we, we went for a round, we just, you know, hired in some amazing people. We hired in, like I said, a head of sales. Yeah. Um, we hired in a VP of marketing, um, her name's Janet Lee. She came over from uh, REI as a VP marketing there. Oh, I love and, REI. Yeah, so she, you know, they, wasn't they've done a great yeah. job. That's amazing. Yeah, and 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 she's great. I mean, you know, amazing. And it's uh, but it's also just like for me, learning like my the archetype I had in my head for that position specifically was like. Yep just just really a deficiency in 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 my understanding of what that role was you know yeah i'm looking for this like ultra creative like and and it's just you know when you're looking for someone to run marketing it's a strategic marketer strategic thinker you know and then yeah but then someone that can also take some of that big company uh, experience they have and apply it to a smaller fast-growing company and then it's like you know how do you how's it, how do you do this job differently? Like, what do you need to change? And, you know, like, how do you need to act differently here than you did there? I think that's a really well, important like interview question. Yeah. But, and how did she get, I mean, did she get you to change your frame of thinking on that? Or was that, you know, if you went into this job thinking, yeah. you know, marketing is like 
billboards or creative, but marketing is mm. actually like strategy and data. Yeah. You know, what got, what shifted? How did it shift well, for you? I kind of leaned on people that had more experience than me there, like my, our investors and then, mm-hmm. um, and then my team, you know, my, our CFO, our COO, like people that had worked, you know, in bigger organizations in the past mm-hmm. and like kind of knew what that role was. And then, and then I still had to like wrap my head around it though. I still, right. it was really hard for me to get past. So we, you know, our marketing search, we interviewed a lot of people. Um, and right. then, you know, so it was, it, and I've heard it's, it's marketing can be the hardest too. And it was for sure for us, but yeah. I'm just, I'm really, just really happy. I've heard sales is the hardest. Sales. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure some people think ops is the hardest. It's all I hard. Know. It's all hard. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're, you're basically, you're spending a lot of time with people and you're, and you're, you know, you're, you're, it's, it, you're placing a huge bet on them, especially yeah. at the executive level. So, I mean, we, you know, I think we put as much diligence as we, as we could into the people we brought on. I think we got, there's a little luck in there too, but we're super yeah. happy with our team right now. It's, 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 yeah. So let's also go back to the original because mm-hmm. when we were, um, you know, pre-gaming a little bit, or I sent you the draft and you sent me thumbs up as mm-hmm. that was our pre-game. Um, <laughs> you did mention that there's some copycatting going on. And, um, I mean, I'm not surprised to hear it. Obviously that's, you know, whatever you learn in third grade that if people are, you know, jealous or they like what you're doing, they're going to try to imitate it. I promise you we won't, even though I admitted that I was a little jealous. Um, (laughs) but you know, tell me, (laughs) tell me, uh, you know, and we also hear like, that's great. It's good for the category. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it has, I, it has, and it hasn't in the sense that, um, I think our supply chain is so hard and yeah. I think what we're doing is so, is so, um, I don't want to say well, your packaging though. You know, know, yes. That, but I think, like, yeah. I mean, and, and, and to be, like intellectually honest about it. I'm mm. such a believer in flexible packaging. I think mm. everything should be in a pouch. So I can't be upset yeah, when other people make that choice. Cause yeah. I think it is a good sustainability mm-hmm. choice, but it's like when people open cooking schools, I was like, I'm, I want more people to cook. So I can't be upset about this. I just don't want them to like copy my curriculum, you know? Yeah, okay. Um, so tell me, what that's been like and how do you, ha- are you able to protect yourself at all? Or is it just, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's, you know, it's something for me that I knew that's another thing I strategized on a lot in those six years. It's like, Hey, if we're successful, you know, we're bringing something completely new to market here. We are the first and the original. That's why we, that's why mm-hmm. that, that's in our, on our label. That's why it's where it's at in the hierarchy. That's, we, we, you know, we brought something new to market. There wasn't Japanese barbecue sauce here in the U S right. for us. So if we're successful, people are going to come in, you know, they're going to copy cool. what we're doing. Right. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's, um, I mean, you know, we're never going to give these people like, and there's more, they're going to come in. I'm sure that it's any, any kind of airtime. It's just, um, you know, we just, as far as like defense and things like that goes it's just you know we have an authentic family recipe you know people can't take that from us you can't replicate that you can make your packaging look exactly like ours you can make it japanese barbecue sauce all those things and 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 you know hey good luck with it but um Mm -hmm. it's we're just going to keep kind of doing what we do um and being the best brand best business best partner to our retailers all those things that we can that we can be um and that's you know that's really it and then let the consumer make the choice you know do yeah. they want something authentic or do they want you know a cheaper copycat version of the product you know usually when people start making those has movies, trader joe's made a japanese barbecue sauce yet no but okay. uh they um <laughs> well no i'm just gonna say no um <laughs> Okay. So, yeah. Um, yeah. But a lot of times when that, some these things happen out of desperation too, you know, right. like if, if you're just killing it with your brand, like you're not looking to copycat other brands, right? right? So, totally. Yeah. 100%. So you said something in there where you said the best partner to your retailers. Um, I talk about this a lot. I think it's one of our secret weapons as well. Nice. Like, I love that. Um, and I think it's because we went in with a lot of humility and 
from the very beginning knew that we had to earn our spot and that they weren't lucky to have us, which I think um, brands make a mistake in thinking. And, you know, especially, you know, I think because we were always in brick and mortar and we were never a D to C brand, we just had to like really put the work in Mm -hmm. and it's been, you know, paying off. We also are hamstrung in a lot of ways because we're fresh. And so we can't have mountains of pouches and we can't be in, you know, end caps and it's very hard to cross merchandise us. Mm -hmm. And you happen to have beautiful, you know, just like towers of bachan in, you know, the poultry area or whatever (laughs) it is. And it's, um, it's one of the things where I'm like, that's cool for them, you know, but I'm wondering do you have an internal team? Have you focused on merchandising? Are you, are you, do you have a lot of boots on the ground out there just making sure that your voids are filled, that you're looking good, that you're seizing any opportunity for a secondary placement? Like, cause those are the things that I think really a move that velocity number, but also, you know, make the merchandising teams feel great. Um, so I'm just wondering how you've approached it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, what's, well, first of all, I mean, being, I mean, you know, I looked at refrigerated and everything too, but, you know, being mm-hmm. on the perimeter store is, is also, you know, great. I mean, it's, you know, mm-hmm. um, but in, you know, center store, yeah. You know, getting displays is a big part of the game. And what's, what's interesting yeah. is we haven't had really very much display activity or secondary activity at all. This is our, this, yeah. this year is the first year when we're going to have some kind of national displays coming on. Have you been to the Lamar store yet? Is it in, Whole Foods? The Whole Foods? Lamar. Yeah. So, it's <laughs> magnificent. I, I just want to tell yeah. you, it's, it's really your, your secondary in the poultry area okay. is really, it's, it's quite beautiful. I got to write that one down because yeah. we, we don't, you know, so we have um, kind of a, a broker partner that does some merchandising too, and, and they're able to mm-hmm. really kind of move the needle within Whole Foods at the regional and just store level, really. Right. Um, so, and and we've you know seen the success of that. So, um, but you know, yeah, we're this year we're extremely excited because now we actually have like some you know national um, displays coming, and we don't know what they're going to do. You know, we have. We kind of did a display contest in Whole Foods Soap Pack. And I, man, if that, those programs aren't really around anymore, but for any other, you know, kind of emerging brand, if you can do that and just build those case studies and use them to, to, to get more like that, we saw a massive lift from, from the display contest we did with, with with Whole Foods. Um, Yeah. I mean, I think for, you know, for those of us who are making products that are, that, I mean, I'm sure people drink your sauce for dinner, but presumably (laughs) they need to put it on something, right? Like us, like the whole thing is making it as simple for the consumer as possible to understand, like, what does this go on? How do I use this? And so if we can get ourselves to be next to that thing, you know, which is why, again, we're like tofu, great, you know, beef, super, you know, fake meat. Yay. Like, (laughs) fine. Like, you know, it doesn't matter, but, um, that's what I love about your packaging too. It's just, it's, I think we share in that simplicity, you know, and very yeah. like, it's clear, like the consumer sees it and they understand what it is. And it's like, oh, that, that looks like very high quality when they taste it, it is. So it's like, yes. that's, that's a big piece of the puzzle. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, we need more people to know what our flavors are. Um, and, and we have probably, I would say, you know, 40 more ingredients than you have. (laughs) I'm like, huh. You're also, you're also a chef, you know? So, yeah. I mean, kinda, I don't know. I don't know. I where I'm like, did we really need to add like this completely esoteric thing that no one actually cares is in there in the name of, you know, like the fruit lime leaf is so important to me. And now I'm like, you know, I, it's in there and I'm proud of it. And it yeah. like definitely adds that right, you know, flavor and, you know, we're spot buying it and, you know, yeah. God only knows what the supply chain <laughs> on that is. And it's definitely, um, again, it's an asset and a liability. Yeah, okay. Like Before we go, mm-hmm. are you going to expo? I'm assuming you have a booth. Yes, we, um, we do have a booth. It's our first 
expo, displaying expo. It's actually my first time going to expo. Oh, wow. Which is like, yeah. You know, Get ready. Uh, kind of embarrassing and kind of just like I'm excited. No, not embarrassing no. at all. Go in like a winner. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Um, so. And what do you have any fun plans that you want to just share? Yeah. Yeah, we're going to be bringing out um, a, a new, a new, a new product. Um, so excited about that. And we're also working on some innovation for um, later in the year as well. All right, that's so, exciting. Yeah, we're down in Hall E. Um, I should have our booth number. I don't it's have okay. it on me. We but. can, you can. When I post it on LinkedIn, you okay. can respond with your booth number. But Boom. I have a feeling people will be finding it Perfect. anyway. Okay. All right. Last question. Um, Best advice you've ever gotten? Hmm, best advice I've ever gotten is, um, I would say, stay close to the flame, you know, of, mm. of, of your business. And it's like, you know, different pieces of advice, pieces of advice hit at different times, you know, for mm-hmm. I, I might hear something, doesn't really mean anything. And then, and then, you know, two years later, it means everything. So that mm-hmm. one I've, I've heard recently and, um, you know, kind of just what I needed to hear. It's just, you're getting pulled in so many different directions as the founder and, you know, CEO, but just stay close to the flame, you know, stay close to your business, stay close to what really matters. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say, I would say that right now. Amazing. Yeah. Justin, thank you so much. Thanks for just, you know, telling us the story and giving the good advice. And, you know, there's so many brands that just look up to you and to what you've built and it couldn't happen to a better guy. So congrats and thanks for coming on the show. Well, thank you, Ali. I look up to you and what you built. So thank you very much. I appreciate it. That's nice. Liam, thank you. Thanks for dealing with my little snafu (laughs) earlier. Um, My alarm went off and I had to stop recording (laughs) and uh, there was a rainstorm. Uh, Um, But, you know, he's a very steady guy. And um, listeners, I don't know, um, but I'm assuming a bunch of you are going to be at Expo next week. I am not recording next week because I will be um, in Anaheim. And as the mother hen of this um, fun little (laughs) industry that we have, or the senior states person, I have a couple things to say. One is please stay hydrated. That's very important. Justin, this is for you for your first show. Okay. You got to stay hydrated. Like I don't know what happens, but we all dehydrate. Mm-hmm. Also, um, you got to wear compression socks. Whoa, I know yeah. it sounds okay. like I'm 80. <laughs> I'm sorry, but like seriously, people, like you're on your feet all day for all those days. And like it really does impact your whole vibe. That's so good just, advice. I like that. They're compression socks. You can buy them online. There's some cute ones. I got my whole team ones with like stripes and like dogs and whatnot. We're not displaying this year, but last year and next year. Compression nice. hose. And also just like it is very, very overwhelming and it is very overstimulating. So like pace yourself um, and, you know, guard your energy because it talk about just like a crazy atmosphere where, I mean, there's a video of me from a few years ago on like the third day and I look like I've been through like a wind tunnel and I'm sort of <laughs> screaming, but I have no voice. And then uh, I, I actually, I don't know if you know Miguel. I literally, I think I bring him up every single podcast, but Miguel from Somos, he it was like four weeks after Expo and he fell asleep on the couch and his wife was like, what's like, what's wrong with you? And he's like, <laughs> I'm, I'm still recovering like oh man this yeah i don't want to hear all this yeah no it's good you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna keep it you're gonna keep it simple just the way you have all along i'm gonna try big like crowd stuff it does take my energy um yeah so it's it's, intense uh, yeah and what what let me ask you this like yeah because um (laughs) i recently had an experience in uh in in a in a in a pretty big like buyer meeting where i you know, I went out at dinner, had some drinks, and I wasn't as on point as I as I would have liked mm-hmm. to have been. So it was a lesson that I'll always take with me going forward. And mm-hmm. with Expo, what? How do you feel about like having drinks and Expo? It's I feel like you, zero. I'm yeah, I'm, I'm literally. Not, I'm not doing it. I first of all, I don't understand how people can, but again, yeah. maybe that's just like a I drain energy pretty quickly because I'm like 
you know, I'm one of those people that like picks up on every little thing. So Mm -hmm. I drain pretty quickly. It sounds Mm -hmm. like you do too. Mm -hmm. Cause when you're on, you're super on, but Mm -hmm. when you need to go inward, you need to go inward. And I don't understand how anybody, and there are, there are tons of people and you get invited to 85,000 things. And there's like bands and parties and people are like, you know, pounding tequila. I (laughs) go home, I take a shower, I like get into like my quiet zone and I go to bed. Nice. And, you know, maybe that's just, again, I think it's a combination of a few things, but, um, it's not, I don't, I don't think it's sustainable. Um, and, uh, you know, but there are people who can, you know, who need four hours of sleep and can operate just fine, (sighs) you know, hungover. I can't. Nope. Um, so expo people, if you need any more, um, grandmotherly (laughs) advice from me, (laughs) really aged myself this episode um you know feel free to reach out if not we'll see you there justin thanks so much and i'll be back in two weeks with another episode of in the sauce in the sauce is powered by simplecast thanks for listening to heritage radio network food radio supported by you keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe